Bavabasar, Perik Yud, Mishnah Gimel, 10.3. The topic of the next two Mishnayas is who needs to give consent for the writing of a contract and who needs to pay for that contract. Now, a couple things. First of all, the Mishnah used the word get, again, referring to a general legal contract. That's no big deal. We've seen that before. Uh, more importantly, any contract is going to memorialize an agreement between two different parties. So we're going to see that typically both parties need to be sort of agreeable to the contract. Uh, this Mishnah Gimel will say scenarios where you just need consent from one of the two parties to write the contract, and the next Mishnah will say we need consent from both parties. The basic principle is that if the contract could somehow cause someone to lose rights or money, of course they need to have consent for the contract to be written. Um, whereas if it one party wouldn't care, has nothing to lose if the contract exists, so therefore they do not need to give their consent. The second part of the mission we'll talk about, or the second aspect of each of the mission, I will talk about who pays for the contract. And the general rule there is going to be that the primary beneficiary of the contract is the one who pays for it. Um, and in a scenario where you have someone acquiring something, in other words, like A is selling something and B is buying it, so the person who's doing acquiring, in this case B, he is the person who is considered to be the primary beneficiary, so he's the one who pays for the contract. Okay. Now, the thing which is really confusing about this con- this whole Mishnah, um, which for years made me not be able to make any sense of it whatsoever, is that a little Mishnah talks about writing of the contract. And I thought to myself, well, anyone could write it. They could print their printer at home. What's the big deal? What the Mishnah has in mind here is not just that it's written by a sofa, but that also two witnesses, the Adem, are signing on the contract to effectuate it. They're like functioning sort of like notaries to say this is a legitimate contract. And that's makes this thing potentially live and can cause problems. So just, for example, what you've seen before with your own eyes, you go to a chasna, you see there's, there's like they're writing the ksuba, and then they fill in the details of the ksuba, and two witnesses sign the ksuba. But wait a second, like the ksuba hasn't been given over yet, so the ksuba's not really a, a real ksuba, it's a ksuba waiting to happen, but already the witnesses have signed it, making it like an enforceable ksuba. So that's what's happening in these Mishnahis as well. So the same way by the ksuba, of course... Just because the witnesses sign the ksuba doesn't mean the woman yet has real legal rights to claim her 200 zuz if the guy dies, of course, because he didn't give it to her yet. But um, you need that, like, to the signatures to make it a valid ksuba, and then he'll give it to her. So in that scenario, who really cares about the ksuba? The answer, of course, um, would be essentially, you know, it's, it's, it's for her benefit to some degree. So but we'll discuss ksuba in the next mission. But the point over here is that we're talking about documents where the witnesses make this document sort of live and effective. And therefore, if it could be to someone's detriment, they would need to give consent before not just that it's written, as the mission talks about, but also for the witnesses to sign it. Okay? So here, let's see inside. The mission starts out by saying, get A person, meaning the sofer, and the witnesses can write and sign on this get, even if the woman is being divorced, isn't giving consent. She's not present. Now, the idea here is because, as far as the mission is concerned, a man can divorce his wife against her will. We don't need her consent. So therefore, of course, she doesn't need to give consent for the get to be written. He writes it without her. He just has to give it to her after it's been written and signed. Okay. Um, On the flip side, the v'hashover le'isha. You may write a shover, which is like a receipt for a woman, even if the husband doesn't know about her or give his consent. So the idea here is that when a woman um, receives her get, she's also supposed to present her ksuba and therefore get her 200 zuz payment, let's call it. So she gives the ksuba, she gets the 200 zuz, and then the husband receives the ksuba and tears it up. That way, she can't claim 200 zuz from him a second time. 
But what happens if a woman knows that she doesn't have the ksuba? She's lost it. So he's going to say, I'm not giving you 200 zuz to give me the ksuba because otherwise I'm, I'm exposed. So what the woman then would have to do is write a shover, like a receipt. And the receipt says, I've been paid my 200 zuz for my ksuba, and therefore the husband will agree to give her the 200 zuz, even without the ksuba, because if he keeps the shover in his safe, if five years down the way she finds the ksuba and she tries to claim it from him in Bezdin, he'll say, no, I already paid this, and the proof is I have the shover. So since the shover says that my husband doesn't need to pay my ksuba, who stands to lose if that's drafted? Only the woman. What does the husband care if that document exists? The worst thing that happens is it somehow finds its way into his safe and then he will have to pay his ksuba. He won't object to that. Therefore, we're saying the woman can have this shover written ahead of time and have witnesses sign it so it's an effective shover, effective receipt, and the husband doesn't need to give consent. So if therefore, even the husband isn't with her, she can have the receipt written. However, there's a separate requirement that the sovereign and Adam know the two parties. They have to know the husband and wife who are getting divorced. And the reason for that is because we're afraid of some kind of weird collusion where, let's say, everyone, like the, let's say the, the sofer and the witnesses know that my name is Reuven, um, but they don't know my wife's name. Okay, So I say, I'm going to make a, a get for my wife and her name is Sarah. Now, the truth is my wife's name really is not Sarah. It's really Rachel, right? But I'm doing a favor for some other woman in town whose husband is Reuven, and her name happens to be Sarah. So I should say her name is Sarah, and her husband happens to be the same as my name, Reuven. So she can now use this get to get away from her husband. So that would be like a trick. So therefore, we're not letting the witnesses and so forth write this thing up unless they know who the people are. Same goes with the receipt. It could be a trick to allow some you know, man to have a receipt he didn't deserve by some woman who's his accomplice. Okay, fine. Um, in both cases of the ksuba and of the shover, it's the husband who pays for it. Now, the usual rule is the, the person who pays the one who's the primary beneficiary, so that would be the husband in the case of the receipt. Now, that thought doesn't really apply to the get. The reason why is like just push that out of your mind. When it comes to getin, the Torah requires that the husband writes his wife to say for Christus, the get. And of course, if he can't, he'll get a sofa to do it on his behalf. Remember, Messiah has getting me all these issues about the shlichus and the appointment that has to be specifically by his command and that kind of thing. The point is, the Torah obligates the man to create the get, and therefore it's his, regardless of who's the beneficiary of the get, makes no difference. Since the man's obliged to create the get, he's obliged to pay for it. Okay, that's part number one. Now, part number two of the Mishnah is, Kos fin shtar lelova malve imo. You can write, and again, the witnesses can sign this document which says that the borrower owes money to the lender, even though the lender isn't present and doesn't give his consent. The reason why, again, is because here's what's happening, right? The borrower wants to borrow money from the lender. The lender says, listen, I have a few hundred bucks that you want. Just bring me the paperwork that says, you know, the IOU. I'll give you $100 in exchange for the the IOU. And I need to have, you know, witnesses sign and that kind of thing. So the lender has to go get it. If the lender gets a document that's notarized that says, you know, I borrowed $100 and I owe it to Mr. So-and-so, and here the witness assigned it, so the, re- the lender would have no objection to that being created, even if he didn't make the loan yet, because what's the worst that, that happens? The worst case that happens is that he ends up collecting money he's not owed, so that's not a big deal. So he would not need to give consent. But once the lender has this document written, it's kind of like a cashier's check. It can be deposited by anybody who, by anybody who finds it and given to the guy who, whose name is listed as the lender, and he can force the borrower to pay a second time or pay and didn't borrow the first time. So therefore, it's the responsibility of the borrower to keep the document safe until it's given to the lender when the borrower actually gets his money. Okay? The ain't close from the malva. Of course, you cannot write this loan document for the sake for the lender because the lender could be cheating. He could say, you know, Reuven could say that Shimon owes him $100, get witnesses to sign it, and then 
Shimon never borrowed the money, and Reuven could, of course, then sue him, and that would be unfair, of course. So, Ad Shihei Lova Imo, the lender can't request the document be signed unless the borrower is present at the same time in front of the witnesses and the sofer. Vahalova Nosan Sachar, and it's the borrower who should pay for the drafting of this contract because who's benefiting? It's the borrower. Under normal circumstances, it's an interest free loan, right? The Torah forbids ribis, so of course the beneficiary is the borrower. But even if it wouldn't be that case, even if, for example, let's say it's um, there's an ISCA going on, and there's, let's say, the lender is essentially making 10%, it doesn't matter. The primary beneficiary is the borrower, and therefore he has to pay. Next is the Mishnah, Kosvin Shtar La Mocher Afal Pishain Lokeach Imo. If you're selling, let's say, real estate, a piece of property, so it's like the deed which the seller would give to the buyer. So, of course, who's going to object to this document existing which says the property has been sold from, from the seller to the buyer? Of course, it's the seller. The, seller wasn't want to, this, the, the buyer could cheat, take this document to court and sort of steal property. And therefore, of course, the witnesses shouldn't sign a star unless the original landowner is there agreeing for it to be written and signed. But the... Um, but the seller, of course, he could have it written by himself without the buyer agreeing or knowing about it even, because why? What's the worst-case scenario? The document says that Reuven gave this land to Shimon, so why should Shimon care if the document's created? What's Shimon have to lose? Okay? Now, Valokeach Nosan Sachar says the Mishnah, the purchaser of the property, he's the one who pays for it. Why? The Torah's basic principle is, although, of course, like you and I might think, wait, it's a negotiated transaction. The seller is getting money, the buyer is getting property, they're shaking hands, they're both happy, so why is one the beneficiary, not the other? The answer is that whoever's making the kinin, whoever's getting the stuff, whoever's acquiring the rights or the property or the assets, that person is considered to be the primary beneficiary in the Torah's eyes. The Torah actually, the Gemara brings actually a Pasuk um, to suggest that the one who does the kinin is the one who's, who's getting something. So therefore, the one who is getting, in this case, the land, as the lokeach, as the purchaser, he's the one who has to pay for the drafting of that deed.